Fear itself is sponsored by Oto, a luxurious wellness brand, revolutionizing self-care through CBD products ranging from drinks to skincare. Oto Skincare Collection features body oils, eye cream, night face cream, and my personal favorite, the night face mask. It makes me feel a lot calmer before going to bed, and I wake up with skin that looks and feels much healthier and more hydrated. A healing indulgence, the Oto mask uses high concentrations of CBD infused with essential oils rich in minerals and vitamins A, C, D, and E. The CBD helps with inflammation and fights skin damage caused by pollutants and stress, whilst also helping to treat dry and damaged skin. The high vitamin C boosts the skin's natural elasticity and smoothness, and the hyaluronic acid helps your cells retain moisture essential for naturally smooth, hydrated skin. You can find this product at selected retailers and on their website, otocbd.com. Oto, find your space. My name is Freddie Fox, and my greatest fear is not reaching my full potential. Welcome to Fear Itself, with me, Cressida Bonus. In this podcast, I'll be having conversations with people about their personal stories around fear. In my experience, fear can be motivational, but it can also really hold me back, and I'm curious to understand this dynamic a bit better. How does fear show up? How do people try to hide it? How can we harness it? And what can we learn from it? My guest this week is the actor Freddie Fox. I had the pleasure of working with Freddie on the ITV drama series White House Farm, in which he played convicted murderer Jeremy Bamber, and I played his sister Sheila. Freddie has been working in film, television and theatre for 10 years. Last year he directed his short film Hero and won the Directorial Discovery Award at the Rhode Island International Film Festival. Later this year he will be playing Mark Thatcher in Series 4 of The Crown. Freddie's a wonderful actor and he's done some really great work, so it's interesting to me that he's scared of not reaching his full potential. And I was curious to know if this fear is consistent no matter how much success you have. We talk about how the on-off nature of the industry creates and heightens fears around not working and how Freddie has used masks to project confidence with varying success. He's very open about the pressures of the industry and what kind of man he aspires to be. Freddie, I just want to start by asking you, when was the last time you felt really afraid? Well, I suppose in its own, I mean, yesterday on the tube, you know, I sort of had an existential sort of, God, what are you doing, man? You, you're just, you've lost control for a second for the day. And I thought, oh my gosh, actually, you're not doing enough. You're not doing anything that's meaty enough, got enough flesh on the bone and then got back home, sat on the sofa, went, oh, you know, and, and calmed down and went, you're doing fine. It's great. It's okay. But I get flashes of it basically every day. Mm. Um, and it's the old, it's, a, you know, it's the irrational fear, but it's the old, you know, adage that applies to every actor, which is you're always worried about not being enough, not being good enough, not being in the right stuff, not being in stuff at all, not being liked by the right people, not being able to get in at those theatres or you know, into those auditions or with those casting directors or whatever, uh, or into America or into, or they, 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 they go through the Rolodex of your mind every single day. Mm. It amazes me though, because you have, if someone was to look at your resume or your CV, you've done a huge amount of work 
And, you know, I have that all the time with my work as well, thinking, oh, I'm never going to work again. And I think that's an actor's greatest fear, one of their greatest fears. But you saying that is like, oh, you know, even you have that fear and you have you had so much success, especially you've just done this White House farm, mm. you know, playing Jeremy Bamber, which was an incredibly complex part and gritty role to get your teeth in mm. and you still have those fears yeah I mean I I suppose Jeremy Bamba in terms of on screen it's the last really meaty character I play which has you know of course an immensely complex psychology whichever way you cut it and I suppose when you've burst that dam you're constantly looking for a similar experience one that is as all-consuming as complex and where you're on set every day mm. working with everyone and once you've you know tasted that yeah. fruit you you only want to be eating the same kind of fruit and it's just not the way the game works mm. not only will you be playing smaller parts and other people will be having most of the fun but you're you'll you're not going to be working at all you know and that's just it it's mm. a feast or famine business and you have to be able to make peace with that and i suppose i've been lucky that i have parents that I've, and siblings that I've been able to look at their own lives, their own careers and go, well, they've had it exactly the same. And whenever I get moany or gripey about it, I can say to them, what's going to happen? Is it going to end or is it going to get better or whatever? And they, they go, yeah, of course it is. Mm. But you just have to keep faith and you just have to keep calm. And do you feel, was there ever a feeling of pressure to become an actor or a sense of competitiveness within that family fold no actually i think we're blessed to have a very supportive network of of, of, of family and, and and really who are sort of they're friends you know that friends you can call upon and just happen to have a kind of unconditional pact with you that they can offer advice and and you don't always listen to it i mean gosh i've my uncle has given me amazing advice and he's often the first port of call i go to my uncle robert and I've ignored his advice on many occasions, <laughs> but it's there. And mm. that um, offering, that presence, uh, that, that security is invaluable. And I'm blessed, blessed to have it. Um, and I think, you know, I've witnessed, you know, people who have competitive relationships with their family and their and often their parents, which I, I have seen, seen being a destructive experience for people's confidence, which is so sad. But fortunately, in this case, I'm... You know, I enjoy championing their their work because, you know, yeah, I feel lucky to have. That's them. so lovely that it's not like that because I'm sure it so easily could be. I mean, I suppose because again, all my family have been blessed to work. They work. Um, I suppose, you know, I'd be I'd be lying if there wasn't a kind of I want to be doing that too you know yeah. and I'm going to make sure that I work hard enough to give myself the best opportunity to do that so of course maybe there is you know there's a little fire under there as well that you've got you know siblings and parents who've done well and you've gone I've chosen to do this and I and I, I want to make sure that I do it well but in my way yeah sure that's there I think mm. and I think this links to your fear of not reaching your full potential because for you, what is your full potential? If you were to describe hmm. what that means for you, what would that be? That's a really interesting question. I think for me, I've always been interested in a kind of multifaceted approach to to my business and performance. And I very much want to direct my stories that 
I hold dear to me. And that is ultimately what I want to do. I want to tell my own stories as a performer. I want to tell them as a director. I want to tell them as a storyteller. I'd like to be, I suppose, a storyteller in the most full and rounded Mm -hmm. um, aspect. And is that mainly then career-based, this idea of your full potential or is it also about the personal side as well? Absolutely there is. I mean, I suppose I, I went to sort of career and first, but I, of course, the other side to that coin, which of course is interrelated, is your relationships with your family, with the natural world, with the people that you love, and maybe to children, who knows, one day. And I suppose to be someone who is calm, dependable, kind, you know, and has a kind of equanimity, a balance to their life. I think balance is a word that I repeat to myself a lot. What is it that you want out of life? And the right balance mm-hmm. of, of, of things tends to be my answer. And I think by and large, I am, given that we're on a podcast talking about fear, I'm quite good at managing that fear. I have been brought up by parents that have given me balance and balance is often, I think, a way of, of overcoming fear in all its various forms. And so um, that is something I think I strive for. Mm. So how do, they, how do they suggest you do that? My parents? Mm. Uh, by listening and not rushing to judge and being able to receive and then form informed and proper opinions on things. Have a cup of tea, you yeah. know, those things. And just talking about potential, you know, I know that you and I are both very lucky to feel that we can access this potential. Yeah. Um, but then I think that sometimes that kind of reaching for something that perhaps is always moving and once mm. you get to that or mm. you think that you're going to get to whatever that might be, mm. then there's always the next thing. Of or, but And so perhaps it doesn't really exist. No, perhaps, you know, another fear might be never being satisfied. Mm. And I think when you're a lucky person who has found a vocation that they feel that they can uh, express themselves in and get paid at the same time and, you know, be surrounded by people that they love and, vice, and, and who love them. Of course, your problems are, are, are good problems. They're better problems. And yes, maybe being, you know, creatively fulfilled is a, is a fugazi. It's yeah. an intra- it's a, a non, non-tangible and transitory experience. I actually came across a, a quote from Bruce Lee. Oh yeah, good old said, Bruce. Ever since I was a child, I have had this instinctive urge for expansion and growth. To me, the function and duty of quality human being is the sincere and honest development of one's potential, which just suggests that we are just constantly, yeah, constantly striving. And actually, will we ever get? <laughs> no, and the- perhaps that's the thing to wish for. Uh, you know, is to be constantly moving constantly swimming forward like you know the shark unable to stop and constantly doing things that you know make us feel fulfilled and I suppose you know at one time in my life when I was at drama school uh, my mother was very unwell she had um, a breakdown and I saw someone who was one of my great pillars of strength in my life thankfully now again a pillar of strength and back to her her old self, but for a period of time, years, was 
you know, she won't mind me talking about it because she's talked about it publicly herself, uh, completely empty, like a husk. Lights were on, but no one was home. And I worried for a long time about not ever getting that person back, that person I who, who weaned me, who I took such strength from and inspiration from. And I thought, oh, she's lost everything. She's like a kind of vacancy, just an emptiness. And I think, I suppose seeing that and knowing that I get up every day with purpose that makes me just being able to reflect on it now talking to you makes me so happy and maybe that is the thing that I've with this endless striving this kind of wanting to fulfill my potential is kind of running away from Mm. uh, from that trying to make sure that I never fall into that feeling of waking up one day with nothing wanting nothing feeling hopeless feeling helpless so I guess yeah, yeah maybe it's that and thank you for sharing that Freddie when you were saying that I was thinking about time you know that the idea of wasting the time that we've been given and we are so privileged to have this time mm. for me I completely understand this this feeling of not reaching my full potential but for me the time thing is the biggest aspect in that space because I'm just so worried about not having enough time to do all the things that do. I really want to do. I completely agree. And you're lucky that you've got a vocation and a, and a kind of and a vision of what you want. To have a plan is everything. Mm. To have a vision for something is everything because you, you've got a path you can follow, at least attempt to follow. And of course, for someone who has a lust for life, you, you're desperate to do many, many things. And that's wonderful. Thank God you've got that. You know, and I witnessed my mother who had a passion for everything suddenly have a passion for nothing. Yeah. That was horrifying to me. And I think when you're someone in your, I've had this recently, and someone, someone in my family who was very ill and, and sadly passed away, mm-hmm. you do, you suddenly it does hit you and think, oh, it puts everything into perspective and you realise, oh, I, we only do have a certain amount of time on this earth, so let's oh. use it as much as we can. But then there's a kind of pressure of still that striving for this whole potential sure. thing, you know? I think also like, you know, where time is concerned, you've been very sweet and said, you know, I've, you've, it looks from the outside like I've done a lot with my life. I suppose as an actor, I suppose, I have an irrational fear that I'm in some ways old before my time. Like I'm kind of the people in our industry, at least kind of have known me, have judged me, so on and gone, well, you know, we know what he can do. Uh, and you're like, no, my whole MO, the whole thing I went to drama school for in the first place, the whole thing made me want to be an actress to do so, you know, have a huge broad breadth of characters and, uh, you know, and roles under my belt that have given me the opportunity to experience a broad taste of the human experience and the mm-hmm. spectrum of people. And so to feel like, you know, to be written off and to go, well, you know, my time is sort of run out before it's arrived. Do you know what I mean? I suppose spurs me on to want to tell stories in the broadest medium. So I have a long, a long journey to go. I've got lots still to do. Yeah. And that brings me on to White House Farm. White House Farm. (laughs) Because you were playing someone incredibly complex. And actually I was listening to Stephen Graham, who is also in White House Farm, on Desert Island Discs. And he was asked when you're playing these complex characters, which he has played so many of them, Mm. how do you find that in yourself? Mm. And when he was asked how he found it, how he found that, he said it was all about trust and trusting the director and trusting the people around him. That's so true for me. 
I, I, I completely agree. And I think to have had Paul Whittington, our director, who you, I know you loved as much as, as much as I did, to feel that all your work was going to be seen, even if it you know, wasn't going to all be used in the, in, the, in the final cut, the work you'd done, the effort you put in was, going, was seen by someone who goes, okay, I know I can use this. And I know that I, you know, I'm gonna, it's going to be put to use in the best possible way. So absolutely. I think also with the character of Jeremy Bamba, so much of it was based on factual research, but also so much of it was based on my own imagination. And I think trusting that even in the case of a darker side of the human experience as you know, the Bamba character you know, is and portrays, is something that I could imaginatively contact without having to have, you know, had requisite experience, Mm -hmm. you know. And if you try and understand the way someone was brought up and the way someone was, you know, weaned and growed and where they grew up and what they wanted in the environment that they were around, they were surrounded by at that time with Bamba, rural Essex, the 80s, having been adopted, having been rejected... Um, that you can sentiently imagine what that would do to somebody and then do the requisite work by talking to therapists, talking to criminologists, talking to people, officials who are around at the time, members of the family, that you can create a tapestry in your head of why, of what someone would be feeling at any given time that suits the script that you're working on. And so that was my job and that's what I endeavoured to do. Um, get into the imaginative headspace that would make that that leap possible yeah just going back to the fear of not reaching your full potential did you watch it and feel really proud of of what you've done or was it difficult watching yourself uh the first time i watched it i i i hated myself i i I, it took it took sort of i've seen the first episode now we've done press for it for quite a bit you know four or five times and it's taken me that long to be able to see it in the context of the work that everyone has done that paul has done obviously and helmed but all the work that has gone on from the writing to the other actors and the design and all of that and gone no this is a really fine piece of work and the wheel that i am within that is is, is is fine there's obviously things that I would that I look back on and go I wish I'd done that differently and oh maybe I should have considered this angle before I'd done it maybe that would have put me in a different headspace for that scene or whatever that I think is the ev- never ending cyclical yeah. experience of, of being an actor that strives to be the best they can possibly be and I suppose I derive some satisfaction in not being com- universally satisfied with the work I've done and that's yeah. okay you know yeah and I also wanted to talk to you about confidence because you always have such a confident exterior mm. on set, off set. And I wanted to ask you, do you feel as confident as sometimes you come across on the inside? <laughs> <laughs> because I just think, wow, can I just take some of you and just stick it on me? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very sweet. And, I'd, but I, and I suppose the answer is sometimes I do, but most of the time I don't. I've developed as a result of being around actors my whole life uh, a kind of a received pronunciation of how to make people feel at their ease, which my mother, I have to say, is the absolute expert at. Um, and so watching her make other people feel comfortable and consequently pervading a kind of confident, an air of confidence, I've kind of just copied it. I've copied her and made it my own in my own way. 
uh, perhaps a little more understated than my mother. Um, but uh, I suppose that's and growing up with a knowledge of you can't underestimate that growing up with a knowledge of my industry that I had because of where the people that I was surrounded by. Uh, it gives you an innate confidence that you can do this. You belong, you can belong in this business that a lot of people who don't come from a background of acting or performance of any kind go uh, constantly doubting for the first number of years. Maybe it's all going to fall. The wheels are going to fall off. Maybe this dream is a dream and maybe, you know, there's there, the cracks are soon about to appear. And I sort of never, I never doubted that it was a possible, I could do this. Yeah. And I suppose that carries on into, into life. And, you know, I feel I'm a, I'm a feel I'm allowed to be there. And I, I guess I should right now, reflecting on it now, I should feel very grateful for that because most actors, particularly at the beginnings of their careers, don't. Mm. And yet, every time I go into an audition, every time I meet someone, my tummy goes funny, I need the loo. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> sorry, and, but it's true. And I, uh, you know, it's like putting on a suit of armor and go, here we go. Another mask goes on and in I go. And, I, and that mask is carefully worked, you know, is, is in, not carefully worked out, it's instinctively worked out for every single, you know, audition, meeting, first day of rehearsal, first performance, whatever, that it's been carefully, it's been constructed in my head instinctively. I go, this is what I need to be. This is the person I need to be today for this person, for whatever. And, um, and sometimes it goes, blows up right in my big old stupid face. And, you know, I've had meetings where I've come over as overconfident because it made me want to feel, I, I was trying to make myself feel at ease in company and trying to make other people feel at ease. And <laughs> for a meeting at, a, at a, a very well-respected institution and my, my agent got feedback afterwards saying, the arrogance that came off that guy was just disgusting and we don't, and we don't want to see him and we're not interested in him. And I was like, what? I was just trying to be nice. And obviously I came over very strong and I try to make everyone feel like we, you know, mm. like we could do, do good work together, and I completely misjudged it. And nervousness took over, and a and a kind of brashness or braggadocio is that that's the word I think uh, took over. Yeah. Uh, but it all came from nervousness and trying to be, over, ple- trying, to be liked, trying to be liked, trying to be trying to please liked. people. Yeah. You know. So I think it's a, it sounds like from what you're saying is it's kind of like a habit that you develop and you have been doing this for quite a long time now that you just yeah. kind of develop a skin. A skin, absolutely. Which I feel I've definitely developed in this industry is a thicker skin. And do you think there's a pressure in the industry sometimes for men to feel like they have to, you know, be like James Bond and <laughs> be all like macho? And I think that's a really good question. And I think the answer, my answer today is different to my answer of four or five years ago where I remember very significant pressure on feeling like I had to be a certain kind of guy that looked a certain kind of way to appeal to uh, an American market or to appeal to kind of, you know, be the leading man. I remember somebody saying to me at a dinner once, (laughs) you know, these little things that people say that stick in your mind for a long, long time said to me, "Ah, you know, okay, well, you'll be a character actor. You're not going to be a leading man, but you'll be a character actor. And I was like, ooh, what does that mean? And now I think about what that meant and it made me sort of have to try and toughen up, maybe go to the gym, maybe do all these things that I just thought, oh my God, you ridiculous fool looking back at it now. But it, it all came from making me feel like I had to be a, some kind of model of masculinity, which I now don't feel at all. I mean, I, I want to feel healthy and I'd like to feel attractive, but mm. I, 
I don't feel a pressure to to be a certain kind of man. In fact, my the kind of man I want to be is a man who listens and is kind. Generally, that's yeah. that that's my ambition. I think, and I think thankfully, and it comes from you know an industry that is now so much more welcoming of uh, you know to women, so much more welcoming, increasingly welcoming to women, increasingly welcoming to ethnic minorities, increasingly welcoming to sexual minorities that that men feel that they can calm down a bit now mm. uh, and you know that that pressure is diminishing um, I'm glad to say and I, I speak mainly for England and I can't really speak for America because I don't work there very much mm. but I do feel I do feel it's a much healthier place yeah and I wanted to talk to you that just leads me on to this whole idea of the big break when people talk about yeah hey when's your big yeah. break but it's almost other people's projections of what they think you should want so they're like oh you you know next time it'll be a big film or, and obviously we all want you know actors as actors we want to play great parts in wonderful films and tv of course but I hate that whole well it's fringe theatre so I'm not gonna come yeah 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 it's myopic a very small-minded and blinded attitude and the only thing as an actor you can do is go back to the part the part and what's on the page and if it and that if that excites you and that's doing it for you then it's as my my dad would say a phrase that comes back to me all the time it's worth doing is it worth doing and that worth has to be determined by the art first not by the opportunities that it might afford you I remember uh, this is going to be a name drop, but might as well, because it's, you know, that's the context of the story. I was doing a film when I was very young, 21, I think I was, with Christoph Waltz. I was playing all my scenes opposite Christoph Waltz. And I thought, ha, it's, I've got it made. <laughs> this is amazing. And it was amazing. And I remember him saying to me, look, you know, people will say throughout your life, and I hope you're lucky enough to have this, to be in this situation. I think you will. You know, they're going to give you a lot of false dawns, a lot of false horizons. This is the game changer for you. This is one of the more fucking times I've heard someone go, this is a game changer. This is the one. You're like, you just have to not listen. Because he said, I've been told that I'm going to be the next best thing since the invention of sliced bread, you know, 50 times since I was 20. And it never happened. And if you believe it, you're a fool. He was quite explicit about it, and I was, and I remember that, and I was like, "That sounds right." Mm. So, also coming from him, yeah, you know, and that's an actor who I hold in seriously high regard. He can act in three languages, (laughs) you know, and has done some amazing roles on all mediums, stage and screen, and that's again something I massively respect. Mm. Um, So that's something that stuck with me, Mm. you know, and agents. Yeah. I know you have a fantastic impression of your American agent, <laughs> My old. which I am going to get you to do um, because it's it's what they project as well, isn't it? What they yeah. think is yeah. I think you know, I, and you know, I have a great respect for agents and good agenting. It's an extraordinary skill and art and unbelievable ability to nurture and foster personalities. Often difficult, you know, sensitive, complex personalities that actors are. But yeah, there. Are, I mean, maybe particularly in America because it's a it's a it's a much bigger market. There's a lot more money sloshing around, and you know, I remember making phone calls to my old agency and hearing the phone picked up and them going "dummy me," and then you go through to an assistant, 
And then, you know, eventually you get to your agent who is so full of beans and full of guns. And you can tell that they've just slapped on a mask, you know, to talk to you. And you're like, oh, God, I don't know if this works. We go, hey, Freddie, how you doing? It's Randy here. Um, Listen, uh, how's it all going in England? And you're like, oh. Uh, I, I find myself talking in an American accent. Oh, Randy, it's um, oh, it's it's swell. What? I never say the word swell in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, uh, oh, yeah, it's it's good. So, how's things on your side of the pond? <laughs> Better go back to being English again. And uh, they go, oh, it's really great. And listen, there's a lot of exciting opportunity for you. You're on a lot of lists here. I was actually talking to Ridley. Um, about a project, and, uh, you know, your name came up. Your name came up over lunch, and um, he's really into you. Uh, he's really into the idea of you. And I was like, what is the idea of me? Is that a thing? <laughs> uh, and I was like, okay. And, and he says, so, you know, you're on a list, which is great. You're on a list. Uh, you're on a list of about 300 people. <laughs> uh, so, so okay. Where am I on that list, uh, Randy? Uh, well, you are you're 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 around about three hundred, uh, but it's okay. But okay, you got a, c- a couple of people above you. You got uh, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, you got Tom <laughs> Hanks. You got um, every other guy, <laughs> every other male in the industry. And I just thought, oh, God, this experience is soul destroying. <laughs> um, I think I'm probably safer at home. Yeah, <laughs> and also just trying to take it with all. Pinch of salt. (laughs) And Freddie, moving on to, well, actually, I was going to ask you what your irrational fear, but you actually said it earlier on, which was um, growing older before your your time. Yeah, it's a weird irrational fear. No, I think so many people have that. Like I was talking about time earlier, you know, this like, quick, quick, we've got to do everything in in the space of this. this time bracket that we have yeah 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 and I you know there are so many things outside of acting that I'd love to be able to do I'd love to be good at playing the guitar I'd love to be a better photographer I'd love to be a better swimmer I'd love to speak another language I'd love to speak Italian I'd like to go and live in another country for a bit you know have the bravery to do that I mean when I think of my friends that come and just live in another country and work there I think god damn that's a big adjustment you know and overcoming the fears and prejudices of you know other places where you go okay but I really want to do that I really want to I really want to do that you know Mm. and earlier when you were saying that you just had when I asked you about when you last felt afraid and that you know day-to-day fear of oh what's the next job and Mm. when am I going to get to play you know get my teeth into a really fantastic part how do you overcome that? Like, what is the thought process to get you out of that? Out, out of is a disaster. I can't work. I'm never going to work again. Yeah, it's how all. Do the, you, yeah. How do you get out of that? Because I find that quite. When I think I'm never going to work again, I find that quite difficult to get out of. I tend to try and follow my dad's advice, which is to go to bed earlier and to sleep more and to have a cup of tea. Uh, in the immediately when I'm suffering, go have a cup of tea. <laughs> Everything's better after a cup of tea. And then um, I'm quite a rational person. I, I'm very linear in the way that I kind of approach things. If I see a problem, I kind of laser in on it and bust it and I compartmentalize things. And so if I see a kind of, I, if I'm, I mean, sometimes the catatonia does get the better of you for a bit. Uh, and all the, you know, sweetness and, and well-wishing and, you know, encouragement in the world doesn't help um, you know, I've had periods where I've been out of work for five, six months and I come home just broken. 
and sleep is really the only thing that makes me feel I can get up again and I can crack on with this and it's going to be okay. Um, but again, just kind of lasering in on the logic of going, I've worked consistently all my life. I have a lot to offer. I have a lot of experience and I will go and write a project whilst I'm not working to keep me active, to keep me positive, to keep me occupied, to keep me thinking dramatically. I will go and read a play that I may do. My dad says, always go and learn a speech, go Mm -hmm. and learn a bit of Henry IV or whatever. Just keep you, your mind going over it all. Keep you match fit, keep your blade sharp. And that distracts you enough to keep you going, I think, through the times when you're not working and is a very kind of proactive and positive a way of kind of dealing with that uh, fear mm. and inertia that can sometimes set in when you're out of work and no one wants you. Yeah. yeah. And what do you think would be the place that you go to when you're feeling this fear or when you're just feeling fearful in general? And it, that could be a um, physical, a literal place or somewhere in your imagination? Uh, uh, Dorset, yeah, the country, the English countryside for me because it gives you perspective. It's so beautiful and uh, it's so not about the kind of the game that we create for ourselves in London. It's not about that. And I suppose that's a security that I'm lucky and blessed to have because it's my parents' house and my parents are obviously involved in that. So being with them makes me feel secure. When the shit hits the fan. Mm, it's always there. It's always there. Yeah. And, I, and I have that. So when I feel weak and when I feel depleted, when I feel hopeless, when I feel like I'm never going to work again, when no one wants me, all before my time, all those fears, I have them. And I have that place that reminds me I have a place in the world. Yeah. And Freddie, what is the music or song that you listen to when you're feeling afraid? At the moment, it's um, John Martin. I find John Mar- the playing of John Martin and his singing incredible and I'm just singing and playing uh, May You Never by him at the moment and I think that is the one that goes, oh gosh, I'm overwrought. Get the guitar, start playing that song. Mm-hmm. That's there. And Freddie, what would you do if you were not afraid and fear did not exist? Oh. <laughs> I guess I'd probably be doing the same thing I'm doing now I wouldn't I don't really want anything to be any different I suppose I might be a little further down that road maybe Um, perhaps I would have submitted more of my writing I perhaps submitted more of my poems and more of my photographs to to places that might show them I don't know I I, but essentially I'm I'm my fear keeps me sharp my fear keeps me determined to to do better my fear keeps me on the right path i'd say i love that that should be an advert everything you just said i know it's really corny no it's fantastic i know but like like i remember doing when i was in cucumber russell t davis would watch every set of rushes every day and he'd send you a text at the end of every day it was amazing i've never had that experience before or since and especially not from someone of his unbelievable capacity and, and brilliance. Um, and I kept going, oh man, I just don't think it was right. I wasn't very good and I don't think I'm doing your work justice and all of that. And he went, stop. It's great. I'm telling you it's good. And I'm very glad you feel frightened about it because it's what's keeping you sharp. It's making you want to do better every day. That's fine by me. Yeah. You don't need to feel like that. 
you c- you could believe in yourself a bit more but good stops you being a twat and <laughs> actually makes you want to be better yeah. that's good um freddie thank you so much what can we i know we can see you in white house farm with cressida bonus with, with me <laughs> cressida bonus in yeah. white house farm then um i'm doing the fourth series of the crown that will be i guess this Amazing. time next year uh did a series for itv called invisible with jason watkins a wonderful actor for itv again and I've got a couple of films coming out next year. So yeah, that's sort of roughly where I'm where I'm at at the moment. Great, yeah. Freddie, thank you Lucky so me. much. Thank, thank you for you. being so open and honest, and I just it. you. So thank you. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to Fear Itself. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be hugely appreciated if you could subscribe on your favorite podcast app and maybe share it with a friend who you think might like it. You can also find me on Instagram at Cressida Bonus. I'd like to give a special thanks to the producer and editor Hannah Varrell, James and Kazra at One Fine Play for their fantastic studio space, and Malt Martin for his beautiful music. Tune in next week when I will be chatting to another great guest about all things fear. Thanks guys, and see you next week. <laughs>